I want to speak this morning on my mother's favorite passage of Scripture. Her favorite passage of Scripture was the 14th chapter of John. Those words spoken by Jesus on the eve of his own death, and it relates to him and the relationship he has to death and to life and to heaven. So I'm going to speak this morning on the subject I've never devoted, exclusively devoted, a sermon to, and that is the subject of heaven. The subject of heaven. A preacher was preaching about heaven one Sunday, and he asked a question, how many of you want to go to heaven? Well, everybody raised their hand. How many of you want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. Well, everybody raised their hand. None of you moved your hands. I don't know whether you're like the fellow in the service or not who didn't raise his hand when everybody else did. And the pastor looked at him and said, don't you want to go to heaven? He said, well, I sure want to go to heaven when I die. But that's not what you said. I thought maybe you were getting up a load right now, and I'm not ready to go yet. I'm, uh, heaven's my home, but I'm not homesick, you know. But the point is this. The point is this. Every one of us in this room, wherever you're living now, and however satisfied you are with it, every one of us has one more move to make. We all have one more change of address coming. All of us. That's why I think the Bible ought to be in the travel section of a bookstore. If you're going to make a trip, if you're going somewhere, it's very important to find out something about it. How to get there. How to enjoy it. How to get the most out of it. Well, we're all getting ready to take a trip. Hopefully these brief words this morning will help all of us to do a little better job of preparation and packing for that in, that inevitable journey we're all going to make. I do not say that in a morbid way, nor in a frightening way, for Jesus did not issue it, His words, in that context at all. In fact, He began His statement about it by saying, don't be afraid of what I'm talking about. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or abiding places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and we do not know the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Did you notice that seven times in those six verses, Jesus said, I or I will or I call or I come? Seven times he puts himself right in the middle of that experience. Regardless of what's happening to you or what you think's about to happen to you, I am right in the middle of that experience and I will be there now, I will be there in the future, and I will be back for you, and where I am, there you're going to be. So it's going to be okay. You don't need to be afraid, for He who owns the heavens and the earth, He who created the universe, He who is the God and Father of us all, has a plan for us, and He's right in the middle of it. Heaven. Why do we believe in it? Why do we have that? Well, one reason I think is because of instinct. I think it's born there. It's part of us. We, we, we know we're not home yet. Pascal said the existence of hunger 
presupposes the existence of bread. God would not have created us with an appetite to eat and then not provided us with satisfaction for that appetite. God would not have created us with an instinct for eternity. And he's placed eternity potentially in every heart. He would not have created that hunger and not provided the satisfaction of that desire. Another reason I believe in heaven is because it's not only instinct. I believe it's because this life is incomplete. There's just some things I'm not going to get done that I want to do. Some books I'm not going to get to read, I want to read. Some people I want to meet, I'm not going to get to meet. It's not as complete as I'd like it to be. There's got to be another chapter. There has to be another verse. Incomplete. I believe there's another reason why there needs to be an eternity of heaven and hell is because God is the God of justice. Injustice requires that things be made right. And they're not made right in this life. Injustice often goes unjudged, and goodness often goes unrewarded. God's not through, my friend. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, an accounting. And God is a God of justice and of righteousness. And He will have the final word. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about what it is. First of all, it's a place of growth and change. It's a place of growth. If you look at the, the Greek word, which is translated mansions, in my father's house are many mansions. The word Jesus used cannot be accurately translated into English because it really embodies two words. It really, involves, it really embodies two ideas. One is rest and the other is progress. It really is not so much a permanent abiding place as it is a place where you rest, you catch your breath, and you keep moving, and you keep growing, and you keep expanding. For I personally believe heaven is going to be the most active place we have ever been, but it will be an activity in which there is no fatigue, in which there is no stress. It will be a place where I'll get to read the books I've not read, see the places I've not seen, meet the people I've not met. It will be a place of unlimited possibilities. Now, if you want to go to heaven and your idea of heaven is to float around with wings and a white robe and play, play a, a harp, God bless you. I'm not going to be with you in that part of heaven, but God bless you. I'd rather play golf than play a harp. And I know there are going to be golf courses in heaven. Paul gives us a hint. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. <laughs> now, where did he get that language if not from God, right? Oh, and in marvelous the biblical insights you get uh, here in this place. It is a very active place. Boy, George, this is true. He, he said that uh, as a little boy, he dreaded the thought and the idea of going to heaven because it was pictured to him as a, his words, perpetual Sunday with perpetual services. <laughs> I don't want that either. 
In fact, that deterred him. He said that kept him from becoming a Christian for over ten years. That thought of immobility and inactivity, that atrophy of nothingness. I don't believe that's heaven at all. I believe it's a place of growth, it's a place of becoming, and a place of marvelous activity. I also believe it's a place of people. Will we know each other in heaven? Why, certainly don't we know each other here? Well, what about people who lived a long time ago? The Bible gives us some hints about that, too. When Stephen was dying, he looked up and saw the Lord. It was an instantaneous experience for him to go into the presence of the Lord. He didn't go off over here in some anteroom and wait. It was a personal, immediate encounter with the living God. And in the Bible, when Peter, James, and John met with Jesus and Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration just a few days before Jesus' death, and Peter, James, and John, and Jesus talked with Moses and Elijah about the death that Jesus was going to accomplish. How did Peter, James, and John know Moses and Elijah? They had lived hundreds, a thousand years before they had lived. In the presence of Christ, in the enlightenment which he brings by his presence, we know, he said, even as we are known. It's instantaneous family. Betty Smith can tell us something about that out of an experience in her own heart and life and family. They were there all along, not yet known. Now there's family. Then there will be family we will know even as we are known. It's a place of people. It's also a place of pleasure. Get this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. It's going to be a place of incessant, incomparable pleasure. No death. No pain. No disappointment. No depression. No fear. No separation. No wonder they sing in heaven. What a place. Try to think of it this way. This is the way I think of it. It helps me. Maybe it'll be a hint for you. Try to imagine this life. And I love this life. I've loved it. It's had some pain and some sorrow and some disappointment. But I'd go back and do it all over again. I really would. I'd, I'd like to change a few things, but I'd take, even, I'd, I'd take even the sour with the sweet because I really love life. Now, I want us to imagine the life that we have had devoid of any of the bad things, devoid of any of the darkness, devoid of any of the disappointments, devoid of all fear. Imagine the life you've known at its best and its brightest and its happiest and that's what it will be forever. That's what it will be. This life as we know it, at its best, taken to a higher plane of joy and perfection and all of these things that make life cry and hurt and limp and die are gone. The Bible says, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard 
neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Paul in his great prayer in Ephesians said, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. But by, the Bible says, God says, that I cannot even think how good it's going to be. I cannot even in my wildest fantasy and imagination picture it as wonderful as it is. That's what he said. Eyes not seen, ears not heard, neither has entered into the heart or the mind of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. We'll begin to perceive something that the mind of God had known all along. And how he truly has, from the days of Eden, worked everything together for good to those who love God. And to those who are called according to his purpose. I love animals. I believe animals will be in heaven. I have no doubt about that. I don't. Because I think there will be a reconstruction of Eden. The way it was and the way God intended it to be. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. God's going to have the final word and he's going to make it like it was and like he intended it to be. And the lion and the lamb will lie down together. And men will learn war no more. Life at its best. I had a little dog die. A little dog, I remember his name was Powder Puff. A little white furry thing. And we didn't have a fenced-in backyard. Nobody did in those days in, in Dallas. And the dog never stayed in the house. They just, they just were kind of there, you know. He took care of them, loved them. But one day, Powder Puff, I can't remember. It, it, uh, my mind just won't let me recall it. But I, the dog's either run over or it ran away, and I kind of think it was run over, and I just didn't want to admit that. So whatever, the dog was gone. And I was brokenhearted. And I said to my mother, Mother, will that little dog, will Powder Puff be in heaven? God gives mother something special to say at crucial times. He really does. My mother gave an answer that at the time was the most satisfying answer I ever heard, and it's still the best answer I have ever heard to that question. In fact, what she said should be written down in the Bible. It's that good. For I have not read anything in the Bible that's better. It satisfied the hurt of a child. Mother, will that little dog be in heaven? And my mother said, Bugner, if that's what it takes to make you supremely happy, that dog will be there. Okay. Frankly, I hope if the dog is there that he's able to take care of himself. Uh, because if all the pets I have are there, I'm going to be busy doing a lot of things other than flying around space out there and that kind of thing like I want to do. One last word, how do you get there? There's just one way. We don't get there because we're religious. We don't get there because we speak English or because of the color of our skin or the number of our morals. All those things can be good and beneficial. We don't get there by anything we've done. And we can't get there by what somebody else does for us. My mother's faith won't work for me. It can influence me and inspire me. But there is no proxy religion. There's only one person who can get me there. And that's Jesus Christ. That's what he said to Thomas. I am the way. 
And I am the truth, and I am the life. Now listen, we don't all come to Jesus the same way. Everybody in here who knows Jesus has had a separate, distinct experience from everybody else. There are many roads to Jesus, but He's the only road to the Father because we wouldn't even know He was a Father if Jesus hadn't come. Right? I am the way, He said, the truth and the life. You're getting ready to take a trip, maybe a year, 10, 20, 50 years, probably few of us will still be here. But you and I will be alive and well, conscious, somewhere. And we now make preparation for that inevitable journey.